You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the light that pierces the darkness. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate us through the reading of your word, through my words, through the way we receive them. We give you these next uh, few moments in our worship and ask that you, Holy Spirit, will do as you wish. Please remove any of our false worship and help us to see who you truly are in the incarnation of your Son. It's in his name we pray this. Amen. So I was meeting with a, uh, I'm in a new small group, and I was meeting with this new small group and a few other small groups. We were asking the question, what are your Advent traditions that you do? And I'll give you a, 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 an answer that I didn't, I didn't give them, I didn't think about it until later, but one of my rock-solid Advent traditions five or six, maybe seven years ago now, and let's see who else can relate to this, was buying tickets for the next installment of Peter Jackson's trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. How many of you used to go to that in December each year when he came out? None of you did. You can raise your hands in worship at this point, because I've asked you questions. Don't raise your hands when we're singing. We're Presbyterian. We don't do that. But you... <laughs> But you can raise your hands when I ask you a question. But uh, anyway, a whole group of us used to go. The three installments, Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, Return of the King was the third one. And we loved this so much. The fourth year I was living in the UK, I thought this was great that Mr. Jackson finished all of these before I left the country. And I phoned my brother and said, so how's Christmas gone for you all? What's, what, what's up with you? What are you up to? And he said, well, actually, it feels just a little bit flat because there's no movie to look forward to. This year. For those of you who have not read J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, masterful uh, trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, there is a story in it of an unlikely and easily overlooked character. He is a ranger from the north. His name is Strider. He's a bit shady, and he's revealed, as the story goes on, to be Aragorn, the heir to the throne of Gondor. And one of the plot lines that happens in this story is that this royal city of Gondor has a steward, a line of stewards. But over time, because the king has been so long in coming, these stewards have forgotten that the throne is not theirs. And the current steward goes mad in his attempts to to hang on and retain power. Now, the hope is he has a son called Faramir, who has listened to the ancient stories and remembered. Faramir, in his response to this new king, remembers that you can stand in opposition to the rightful king, or you can kneel in homage, but the throne is no longer your own. And Faramir kneels. Advent acts as a herald, this season does. Advent is a a season that heralds and calls us to live with wisdom to keep our eyes open and elevated for Jesus, who is the returning and the coming king. See, during the Advent season, we listen to the ancient stories and remember that we are stewards. There is one king who in his lifetime was unlikely and easily overlooked and yet ended the reign of sin and death on earth. And he will return to establish his kingdom on earth. We live between these two advents, the first coming 
of the king born, lived, died, risen, ascended in Jesus Christ and his return at his second coming. We can stand in opposition to him or we can kneel in worship, but the throne is no longer our own. Our scripture reading today heralds this call. It is an ancient Advent song, a song that looks to the coming of the Messiah, the Lord's anointed, to his coronation as a king in the line of David. It's found on page 424 of these Black Pew Bibles. We will stand and we'll read it together as an act of worship as we look for our coming king. So would you please stand, turning to page 424, And reading together Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 1. Let's read together, and when we're done reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and and you may respond, uh, thanks be to God. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed saying, Let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord has them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, with trembling, kiss his feet, or he will be angry, and you will perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Happy are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, as Advent hymns go, it's not exactly a way in the manger, is it? The psalm is it's, it's basically a standoff. It's a standoff between the kings, the rulers, the people of the earth who want to sit on the throne of power and between the Lord's anointed, now seated in the place that they feel rightfully belongs to them. And these first few stanzas, it's in verses 1 to 3 is the first stanza, describes the mass gathering of all the nations and people in the known world at a coronation. This is a coronation song, either for David, definitely for each one of David's descendants to the throne. See, God is placing David and David's descendants on the throne with authority to rule over them, and they're none too pleased with it. Bear in mind that in this psalm, these are the sorts of rulers and peoples who oppress others, refuse to be restrained by the bonds of justice, rebel against any restraint to their own greed or power or lust for pleasure. So it's little wonder that they've gathered in open revolt, intent to break free from their restraints and cast aside any cords of obedience to the Lord who calls them to justice and mercy. 
Well, now the scene shifts, and instead of shifting to the Lord's anointed, it takes our view, it elevates our view. The scene goes to the throne room of heaven, to a seat of power, and this is where it's at stake, where the Lord, who is the rightful ruler over all the earth and all the people of the earth, responds with derisive laughter to the futility of their plans. Before speaking in unconcealed anger, warning that the one crown today is chosen by the Lord, and rebellion against the king's anointed is rebellion against the God of heaven and earth. Now pay attention to this word anointed, because it's our word for Messiah. Anointed Messiah, Christ, they're all the same word. So when we say Jesus Christ, Christ isn't his last name. Christ is a title, Jesus, Messiah, the anointed one. Well, once the psalm writer, once the poet takes our gaze up to the heavens, then he returns it down to the earth. Then we can see what is really going on on this throne of David, the seat of power in Zion. Because the throne of David is a reflection of this heavenly throne of God. And the king declares himself to be the begotten son of God. This means that his authority to rule is intimately and inseparably derived from this father and son relationship. When a king on David's throne says he is begotten of the Lord, it means that his rule is exactly the same as the Lord. Notice in the psalm, to kiss his feet is to worship the Lord. All the earth and every nation on the earth owes the Lord allegiance and therefore owes allegiance, homage, worship to the Lord's anointed. And it also means a king is accountable to the Lord for his own use of power, his own wielding of justice. This anointing confirms the authority to judge with mercy and with truth. Breaking with the rod of iron is an image of divine judgment against those kings and rulers who abuse their power. While dashing as pottery is a metaphor for scattering people into exile who refuse to be ruled or constrained. And then finally, in the middle of the standoff, at the end of the song, the poet appears. Verse 10. He appears with a warning. Be warned, be wise, O kings and rulers of the earth, he says. And then in verses 11 and 12, he gives them their choice. The choice, the first call, is a call to worship, to serve the Lord with reverence by recognizing the Lord's rule in his anointed, paying homage to the Davidic king. And their second option is to stand in opposition to his rule, in which case they can expect judgment and death. He will not sit by allowing you to destroy the earth and its peoples in your pride, your greed, and your lust for power. Be warned, the poet said, the Lord will act. And he ends with good news. Happy are all who take refuge in him. Now, if this scene has a happy ending, the nations, the kings, the rulers, and the people do take refuge in the Lord through the Lord's anointed. They give their allegiance to this newly anointed king. They accept his rule, and peace flourishes. They enjoy the bounty of the earth. But there is one option that you notice is not open to them. The throne is no longer theirs, and it never will be. 
It has been claimed by the Lord's anointed. And for all their raging, they will not unseat him. You may stand in opposition or kneel in homage, but the throne is no longer an option. Well, this song from Psalms 2, it continues to echo throughout the story of God's people. It's a song that helps us to answer the question that George posed last week. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? Do you remember where God's people were when Jesus was born? How they had been destroyed by empires that that, that shattered them with a rod of iron? Scattered like shattered pottery among the nations into exile. Waiting for the Messiah who would rescue them from the kings and the rulers of the earth who bore no regard for the justice, mercy, or goodness of God. They had been looking for refuge, looking for the Lord's anointed. And do you remember the song that Mary sang when she learned that she would bear the Messiah, the Lord's anointed, the Son of God? It's found in Luke 2. I would encourage you to to read it this week in, in, in your readings. His mercy is for those who fear him. Remember verse 11 of Psalm, 2, of Psalm 2 calls for the kings and the rulers to fear or reverence the Lord. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. Do you remember that rod of iron? He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. There's our broken pottery. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who were humbled. See, the throne of David has been taken up permanently, permanently, by the Son of God, by God himself, born in Jesus Christ. And this is the mystery of the incarnation, as as George preached about last week. Do you remember? He spoke to us about Jesus, who is fully God and fully human, inseparable, God come to walk in our shoes. A baby born of Mary, descended of David, who is also fully the Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages. And this is the wonder of the incarnation, that the derisive laughter of the Lord on the throne, mocking the nations for their open rebellion, can now be heard in the childhood giggles of Joseph's boy. That the angry declaration of the Lord expressed against the nations, the wrath and fury of the Lord, is now contained in the speechless vulnerability of Mary's baby. God born at the mercy of the very kings and rulers who gather to oppose him. I mean, you remember how many kings there are in these birth narratives, don't you? You remember Caesar, the king, who, who drives Mary and, and Joseph to Bethlehem to be, to be taxed and ironically fulfilling the Lord's purposes. You remember that the kings in, in this story face the same choice that the poet gave to the rulers and the nations. Either stand in opposition or kneel in worship. The throne is no longer open, and so we see King Herod, who angrily stands in opposition, violent opposition, to the reign of God come to earth in Jesus. And we see the Magi, the rulers from the East, who come to pay homage, who come to worship, who come to adore. And yet the way Jesus exercised his divine authority, this was a surprise to everyone. See, the Son of God, fully grown, would never take the throne. 
The Son of God, fully grown, would kneel and wash the feet of those who were supposed to kiss his feet and pay him homage. He would break the nations with a rod of iron by being broken, shattered on the cross. And then he would be raised again from the dead to defeat the power of sin and death. It seems to me that in the resurrection of God, in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, God has laughed derisively at the worst that the nations can throw at the anointed of the Lord. After that, as you well know, he ascends up to the throne of heaven. Jesus' ascension is his installation to the throne at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And do you remember what he told his followers before they left? Before he left, They said, are you setting up your kingdom now? Are you taking that throne now? And he said, no, it's not time. The time isn't of my decision, but here's what you do. Go and tell the nations. Go and tell this good news to the nations that happy are all who take refuge in me. Tell them we live between the times, and here is the choice. You may continue to stand in opposition to the Lord and the Lord's anointed, or you may kneel in humble worship, but you do not own your thrones any longer. I wonder what happens, however, when the patience of God exceeds the attention span of humans. It didn't take too many centuries before the kings and the rulers of the nations were themselves Christians. You remember that the Roman Empire became the Holy Roman Empire. And to no one's surprise, really, controversy surfaced around who Jesus was, really. Because, you see, a heavenly ruler leaves an empty throne on the earth. And the call to take refuge on Jesus Christ the Lord is great news if you aren't sitting on the throne already. It's good news only if you acknowledge that you are a steward So once we have kings and rulers who sit on the thrones and call themselves Christians, we get these controversies that arise in in the 4th century about, well, you know what, is Jesus really so heavenly? Couldn't it just be that he's sort of divine, he's one step below God, He's, he's a divine and he can show us how to rule, he can show us how to lead. Maybe it's the fact that, as we say today, Jesus is just a human prophet that we followed. You see, when you lower Jesus down off of the throne in heaven, it's a very short step to taking up his throne yourself. There were those, though, who still took up the cry of the poet, the call of the herald. And you can hear their voices in this ancient declaration of Chalcedon that George introduced to us last week. Their words elevate our gaze back up to the heavenly throne, to Jesus who was begotten of the Father before their ages. They are words written to remind the stewards of earthly power, that we can stand in opposition to Jesus or kneel in adoration, but the seat of power remains empty. It's a reminder that you and I still need an Advent, if we're honest, isn't it? To see Jesus in his first coming in full view of his return. As odd as that may sound at first. Because maybe keeping the focus purely on the first Advent, purely on the baby Jesus in Bethlehem, allows us to reclaim the thrones of our own personal world for ourselves. How easily do we domesticate Jesus and leave him in the swaddling clothes of the manger as we get about ruling and and ruining and running our own kingdoms, especially at this time of year? But Advent is the call of the poet. 
Advent is the cry of the herald, reminding us that we are not the ultimate authority in our lives and our world, that all power and all authority on heaven and in earth and under the earth has been given to Jesus. And one day he will return and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We may stand in opposition or we may kneel in adoration, but the seat of power, thanks be to God, has already been taken by one who's conquered sin and death and limitation and loss. The seat of power has already been taken by one who is Lord over the past and the future and the present. The seat of power has already been taken by one who loves us so much. And this Advent invites us to elevate our gaze, to stop standing in opposition, to kneel in humble adoration towards the Lord of the nations. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.